If you would, flip the page if you still have your Bible open and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As you've heard me already say, one of the the reminders that we have when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is that that we, we are still here and that we exist in this time between Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and, and, and we are after that, but we are before his return. And that we are, and one of the things that we have to remember is that we are, those of us who are in Christ, we are the church. Those who have been called out, those who have been gathered together in the name of God, and the church exists for a reason. We have a purpose, we have a mission. And as I said, one of those ways that we can look at the Lord's Supper table and understand that mission is we are called to bring as many people to the table as possible. The church is really an interesting and, and, and a fantastic thing. We are both exclusive and we are inclusive. We are exclusive in the sense that to be the church, to be a member of the church, to be a part of the church, to be part of the body, we need, we have to, it is a non-negotiable, we have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to place our hope and our trust in Jesus that he indeed is the Son of God who lived and who died and who rose from the grave. We have to believe that and and confess him as Lord and make him the Lord of our life. And and when we do that, and and you have to do that to be the church, and yet the church is also inclusive. And that while we have to believe these things, the invitation to believe and the good news of the gospel is opened and it is offered to all people. Every person we meet has a need to hear the gospel and the gospel is intended for them. Over the next several weeks, we are going to focus in on this reality. And I want to challenge us through the month of January for the next few weeks to zoom in on the world in which we live. See, for the last several years, and it's been a a very good thing, our church has had the opportunity to to look at the world as as it is and, and to have an impact and to do ministry in the world. We've been to Brazil, we've been to Oneida, we've been to Indianapolis, we have been to many other places to, to help and support, to encourage and, and, and to share the good news of the gospel with people. But because of COVID, those opportunities are not there like they used to be. We're not going to be getting on a plane in the next year, maybe even two, and and going down to the Southern Hemisphere and and, and sharing the good news of the gospel in Brazil. There are going to be fewer opportunities for us to get in our van or to get in our cars and drive up to Indianapolis and to serve and support and minister to our brothers and sisters in Indianapolis. There's going to be less to do. Even Oneida in Eastern Kentucky has less opportunities for us to go and serve and to, to minister to those people. But just because our missions and our mission trips are no longer something that can be a significant part of what we do as a church, that does not mean that our mission as a church has ended. On the contrary, I would challenge us in 2021, 
that we have more obligation to fulfill the Great Commission this year than any other, and that has to start here in the Tunnel Hill area, in Elizabethtown, and in Hardin County. We need to zoom in on the world that we live in and begin to have a gospel impact on those around us. We have to do what the Lord's Supper reminds us to do, which is invite as many people to the table as possible. In light of this call, I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 33 to the end of the chapter. And as we look at these passages, I would invite you to stand once more for the reading of God's Word. And these are the words that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. If one of the believers invites, or excuse me, one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? Oh, excuse me, I skipped a whole verse there. I apologize. Let me start back up in 27. It's going to be a good year. I can tell already. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience sake for the other's man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. Please be seated. And don't worry, I will walk you through that verse. So we have to kind of start off with some context because obviously we dropped you right into a passage that is really ending a much larger thought and a much uh, larger thing that is going on there. And, and what we find ourselves in is a part of this particular letter where Paul has kind of shifted gears to he's answering questions. It is, we don't know this for sure, but it's highly likely from the letter based on what we can kind of read into it, that the church in Corinth in some manner, either through letter or through a, a, a person from the church going to meet with Paul, they had come to him and they had begun to ask him questions about how they are supposed to function in Corinth. Now, Corinth is an interesting place. Corinth was a, a, a center for pagan worship. Corinth was very serious about their worship of, of the, the Greek Roman gods. And, and they had multiple temples in this town where they took that, that worship and sacrifice very seriously. And so the church 
in Corinth had this interesting situation where the church was made up of partly Jewish people who had converted to Christianity, but also pagan people who had worshipped these gods and had participated in this lifestyle that had also converted to Christianity. And so there was a lot of confusion about how do we function in Corinth? One side, if you think about maybe the extremes a little bit, one side you would have kind of looked at the Jews and the Jews have historically always kept to themselves. Well, we don't participate in all, at all. We create our own culture. We create our own communities. We do our own thing and we completely sever and separate ourselves from the culture at large and we just do our own thing. But then the pagans, the one who had grown up doing these things their whole life, said, no, we, we don't want to completely sever ties with, with all of our family and all of our friends. And, and how are we going to, to tell them and, and show them why we believe what we believe if we have to cut ourselves off from them? And so they go to Paul and they say, what should we do? And they did that by asking s- several specific questions. One of those questions, which is the question that leads to the conversation we are are reading about today, is found in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And Paul responds to this question. He says, now concerning the things sacrificed to idols. This introduction is, is the question that they are asking. They're saying, what about meat? What about meat that has been sacrificed to idol? What, literally they're asking, what are we allowed to eat? Now we're Baptists and this is an important question for us, right? A lot of us can really get on board with this type of question. We look at our passage and we begin to see this is why things get mentioned like meat bought to market and going to a friend's house to eat and and celebrating festivals and all those type of things. They wanted to know what are we allowed to do? They asked him if it was okay to eat the meat that had been sacrificed to an idol at the local temple. They wanted to know, could they eat at the festivals, which they talk about in chapter 8? They wanted to know if they could visit friends who were celebrating after celebrating a sacrifice or giving a sacrifice at the temple. They wanted to know if they could even buy the food at market, if there was a chance that that food had been sacrificed to an idol. These questions are what they had given to Paul, but Paul chose to go behind these questions, to go to the heart of why one would ask these questions. And that is going to be the exact focus of what we are talking about over the next several weeks. While this may appear to just be a conversation about what groceries you are allowed to buy, I want to challenge you to zoom in on what is really being asked here. And the big question is this. How do we, as the church, engage our community? All of these questions sum up this idea. How do we, as the church, how do followers of Jesus engage with the world around us? How do we do it? How do we do it as when you think about, these are all simple things that they're asking about. How do I engage with my friends? How do I share a meal with them? How do I enjoy time with friends and family? How do I go to market? How do I go to the grocery store? And how do I engage with people as I shop? How do I celebrate the moments in life that we celebrate? How do I enjoy the things that my community offers? 
and the things that my community does together. We ask, how much do we participate and how much do we abstain from and why? When we even fast forward into now and, and how the church exists in the world today, we are, find ourselves more than ever asking these exact same questions. You know, we can go back 30, 40, 50 years and, and these questions maybe weren't as big a deal because the church seemed to be such an important part of the community. And we did not see a lot of problem with, with church things versus non-church things and being a part of the community, but being a, a part of the church. We, they weren't a big issue because we felt like, whether they were or were not, we felt like the church and our communities really went hand in hand. And they didn't view each other as, as, as opposite of each other or competing with each other, so it wasn't a big deal. But to be honest, brothers and sisters, that time has passed. And we live in a world and we live even in a neighborhood where the daily goings on in the homes just right across the street do not really reflect what we do and what we talk about in this building. So how do we engage? How do we interact? What do we participate in? And what do we abstain from? We know that there are some in, in that would call themselves the church today, or that are, that are church today, that they would say we need to participate in all of it. And, and we should create no hedges and we should just be exactly like the world. And if the world moves this direction, then we ought to move that direction. And we want to remain relevant and we want to still be a part of the society and the culture. And so therefore we must reflect the society and culture. But that doesn't quite make sense. To be sure, we have the opposite extreme. And we have those that say we must completely shun culture and, and completely shun everything about culture. And we are going to forbid the music and the clothes and the hair and the food and the, the, the society. And we're going to create our own neighborhoods and create our own schools and create our own websites and create our own everything so that we completely close off from the world and we can live in our Christian community with our Christian friends and our Christian school with our Christian ideals. And, be, and to be sure, that is safer. But even then, we end up sacrificing things that should be central to who we are as followers of Christ. So what do we do? How do we engage with the world around us? Well, let's look again at the very first verse of this passage. Verse 23 says this, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify or build up. This verse speaks in a very unique way in our society. We live in a world today, and I'm talking about the United States, Western, the Western world, where the idea of rights have really gone crazy. And we live in a world where we are so concerned that our rights might be infringed upon that we are literally willing to make an absolute scene so that our rights will not be trampled upon. 
And the problem is the, the idea of rights has become expanded and expanded and expanding to the idea that we think we have a right to frozen yogurt. Or that we have a right to three strips of bacon on our sandwich. Or we have a right to say anything or everything that we want to on a place like social media. We are obsessed with rights. And rights are not necessarily a bad thing. And, and if we kind of look to Scripture, we see times where, where these ideas are there. A lot of times the Bible uses words a little bit different than right. Rights is kind of a thing that, that, that Western society came up with. It's kind of a, an American idea when we, we have these inalienable rights as part of our, our Declaration of Independence. And, and we have the Bill of Rights in our Constitution. The Bible uses a term called freedom. And it speaks of freedoms and the freedoms we have as Christians. And it views freedoms in light as a good thing. Galatians 5.1, and it is talking about sin. It says this, for it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Now, this, is a, this statement is said in context. It's said about the yoke and the slavery we, were, we had to sin. But it views freedom as a good thing and that we have freedom and we should exercise our freedom. However, the freedom we have in Christ is not a freedom to do or say whatever we want, regardless of the impact it may have on other people. And Christians need to relearn this. Social media is not a good thing. Because, I, because there are too many people who think they can say whatever they want to say and that it, that it shouldn't matter if that has an impact on other people. But it does. And when we get on social media and when we say things that are mean, that are hateful, that look down on a particular group of people, whether it is because of their race or their occupation or their political leaning or their voting record. When we say those things and we think that, that we have no impact on other people by our words, first, we are fools. And second, we are not being obedient to Christ. Peter says this about freedom. Act as free men. And yes, this applies to women too. Act as free men, and do not, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. One could argue, you are free to say whatever you want. Paul, even our passage, would say, yes, all things are lawful for you. You can say whatever you want. You can do a lot of things. And the reality is the good news of the gospel is no matter what you say or do, if you are in Christ, God will never love you less and he will never love you more. And so even if you say things that are mean and, and hurtful, if you truly are a follower of Jesus, and, and we understand that a True follower of Jesus is not going to say only mean, hurtful, hateful things, but they probably will on occasion 
mess up for whatever reason and say something wrong, because we understand that as fallen people. When we mess up, that does not mean your salvation is in jeopardy, your, your, your relationship with God is in jeopardy, that something is going to go horribly wrong with you. However, just because you can say whatever you want does not mean you should. Because there are some conversations, there are some statements, there are some actions that while you may have permission, while it may not affect your salvation, it will have consequences. And it will have consequences on you as an individual. And it will have consequences on others who hear and see what you're doing. My challenge for you today is to not make your life about what you have the right to do. But to make your life about seeking the good of others. As we continue on, he says, not all things are lawful, or all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. We have to be aware that our words and our actions impact the people around us, especially those who might even misunderstand what we are doing. It is for this very reason that then Paul goes into this discussion about buying food and, and, and sharing meals. As I mentioned already, these things that he's talking about are totally normal and harmless things. He's talking about buying meat. He is talking about sharing a meal with friends. He is just talking about everyday things in life. Think about the, the things you do every day. The how you wake up in the morning when you have family. Or maybe when you don't of how you interact with people in your car ride, of who you share your meals with and how you share your meals, of how you interact with people at the grocery store or in the shop or wherever you might shop, or how you act around your friends and your family in social situations. He says in this passage, he's talking about these normal things. And he says, listen, if, if there's meat to buy, then buy it. If there's food to eat and a friend that wants you to come and enjoy a meal with him, just eat it. He says, you don't have to fret about every single detail of everything. There is freedom in that. We don't have to worry about every single detail of everything in life. Of every, and I know that there are probably some anxious people in this room and you can't send a text message without going, <gasps> what if I said something wrong? They don't respond for an extra period of time and you start to go, uh-oh, did I say something? And you start rereading it and you start going, well, what if, I, what if, I, what if they misunderstood me? What if they, they didn't understand my tone? And you start fretting about it. The, one says the, saying, the thing is saying, don't fret about everything, especially the things you cannot control. But notice he says that when the meal or the meat or the time shared together become about the sacrifice, then he calls you to quietly abstain. 
Not because you believe or support what is going on. It is not that you are worshiping that false god. It is not that you are supporting this fake religion. It is not that you are encouraging that person and and doing those things that you know to be ungodly. But because of the effect that it may have and their perception of the God you worship. Please understand this. Your behavior reflects your belief in God. Let that hang for a second, because there's actually no caveats to that. My, my high school, middle school youth people, we always talk about what the, the most popular youth Sunday school answer is, right, Dennis? And the most popular, we think it's Jesus or Bible or Holy Spirit. It's not. The most popular Sunday school answer, Katie knows this too, Sherry also is, it depends. Because we always want the loophole, right? This is true of adults, by the way, young people. I cannot tell you how many people in my Sunday, time in my, one of my Sunday school classes as an adult now, I hear it depends. Mary Lou drops that all the time. Because we want the loophole. There's no loophole to this. Your actions, your words, your behaviors always reflect on the God you believe in. Which means... As you represent Christ in your life, there will be times where you will represent him well. You'll do the right thing. You'll show grace and and, and mercy. You'll be obedient to God. You'll exemplify and you'll exercise fear in the Lord. And there will be times that you will reflect your God poorly. And you will lose your temper. And you will be mean and mean-spirited. You will allow your racism or your judgmentalism to show. And people will look at you and say, if that is what Yahweh is like, I want nothing to do with him. Your behavior reflects your beliefs in God. Always. So when you participate in any activity or behavior that is contrary to God's word, And often, especially in this society where we live, they will know it. You will show them that you do not fear the God you claim to follow. And when they call on you later, or excuse me, and they will call you on it later. I guarantee you that probably every adult in this room and probably some of the the younger people in this room have had some point in their life where they have tried to tell someone about Jesus. They have tried to talk about their faith. They have tried to talk about going to church. And someone in their life said, who are you to tell me how to live, to tell me who to follow, to tell me what to believe? I've seen you and I know you. And let me tell you, that hurts It hurts to be called out as a hypocrite. It hurts to realize that what you may have said or done months, weeks, years, or even hours prior are going to have an impact on your ability to witness to someone later. It hurts. But when you live for Christ, when your fear of the Lord is reflected in what you do and how you live and how you interact with people and what you say and what you post on social media, that too has an effect. I knew a young man all the way through high school. My wife knew him even longer than that. 
And at the end of college and into the first years that Liz and I were married, we ended up working at the same place. We worked at a grocery store. And one day we were sitting outside and we were talking and we got to talking about faith. And in, uh, in my uh, grocery store where I worked, we had me who was a Christian and pretty outspoken about it. And then we had a couple other people that were Muslim. And, and they were outspoken about it, but they weren't really following Islam like you would expect. And I was talking to this friend of mine and he said, listen, he said, I know that so-and-so, that they're all about Islam and all that stuff. He says, but I know them. I know that they still do all these other things and that there's all these rules and laws in Islam that they're not supposed to do and they still do them. He said, but I also know you. And if, if I were going to follow one of these faiths, it wouldn't be them. Your life matters. And how you live your life matters. And people are watching you. And they're looking for evidence that the God that we claim to believe is real. If in our last statement that says that we are to seek the good of our neighbors, then the last thing we need to understand today is that the greatest good comes from the gospel. All of this circles around one very simple idea. How we live in our community will have a tremendous impact on the authenticity of our message. Look again at the very end of our passage. Paul writes this. Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Paul instructs the church in Corinth to do everything with a desire to see people come to know Christ and be saved. I want you to think for just a second. How would your life be different if the top priority in your life was seeing people come to know Christ? How would your daily calendar be different? How would your attitude at work be different? How would your social media posts be different? How would your conversations with the checker at the grocery store, the person behind the counter at the gas station, the guy who's maybe doing some repairs or work on your home, how would it be different if the most important thing in your life was to see people come to know Jesus Christ and be saved. What if seeing people come to know Christ took priority over making money? What if it took priority over having power and freedom and respect? What if it took priority over your political ideologies and your voting record? What if it took priority over your own comfort and your own entertainment? 
I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, and I believe this to the very fiber of my being, that every single life in this room would look different. My life would look different. We would all be different if we approached every single decision, interaction, and situation with a concern that this moment might lead someone to be saved through Christ. And yet this is exactly what Paul is calling the church to do. Paul says this in just a chapter prior in chapter 9. He says this, I have become all things to all men that I may by all means win some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker in it. Sometimes we take Christianity for granted. Sometimes we forget that we have been called to do something far greater than what we can imagine. Someday we forget, some days we forget that we are the people designed, called, and commissioned to turn the world upside down. And when we lose sight of that, we take other things and we make them more important. My challenge to you is to zoom in in the world around you and ask yourself the question, how do I take every moment and every decision to see someone's life radically change for Christ? What steps do I take to see my friends and my family, my coworkers and the people I see regularly on the street come to know who Jesus is and believe? Can we do this in 2021? Can we seek the good of our neighbors and that good being the gospel of Jesus Christ? We pray for revival, don't we? We want to see revival in this church. We want to see revival in Hardin County, Tunnel Hill, Kentucky. What if that revival begins in our hearts by committing to live for the gospel with every second that we are alive? If you're with us today and you're asking, what is this gospel? I want to turn your attention to the screen. Can you put up the three circles, please? The gospel is this. First off, we need to understand that God has a design. God created all things with a purpose on purpose. You exist. You breathe air right now because God had a design for you. It's true of all things in creation. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, that when he had created everything, he looked at his creation after six days and he said it was very good and you fall into that very good. But we had a problem. And the problem is, is we have a design, but we don't keep God's design. We try to create our own design. We kind of go our own way. And when we do that, that's called sin. 
And sin is just simply that. It's departing from God's design to do our own thing. And as anything else, when we take something that's designed to do one thing and we try to force it to do something else, we find that it is broken. And so when we depart from God's design, we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. And, we know, and I, I could tell you all the Bible verses, and they're certainly plentiful, but I'm going to just tell, say it to you this way. We all feel brokenness in our lives. There are times in our lives where we know we didn't say what we were supposed to say. That we didn't do what we were supposed to do. There are times in our lives where we just feel like we don't fit in. That something in us is just wrong. And if you felt that way, take courage. We've all felt that way. That's brokenness. And a lot of times when we feel that way, we try to do something to, to fix that brokenness, to escape that brokenness. And we, we go to our career and we go to achievements. We go to money. We go to playing and, and goofing off. We go to toys. We go to our children and try to, like, like, try to like make our kids perfect so that we can kind of be perfect through them. We do all these things to kind of escape brokenness. And that's what all those little arrows signify. But the truth of the matter is, is we cannot fix our brokenness from our brokenness. And so we need something outside of our brokenness to intervene. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes in. The gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That that son is Jesus Christ. That he lived a perf perfect sin-free life. That he took that perfect sin-free life and he died for sinful people like you and me. And that he rose from the grave three days later. And the Bible says that if we believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he did all those things, if we believe that and we confess Jesus as Lord, that we'll be saved. Another way to say that is we believe and we repent, which means turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. And if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and turn and make Jesus the Lord of our lives, then we will be saved. We will escape that brokenness. And then we will be able to be renewed and to pursue God's design for our life. Recover and pursue. If we look up at this little picture that we have on the wall, and I like pictures. We recognize, and I want you to understand something, at one point or another, every single human being in this room was there, was in that brokenness. They felt the brokenness. They felt trapped in that brokenness. They understood that that brokenness was there. And you may be here today and you see at this circle and you go, well, that's where I am too. Because I know I'm not perfect. I know I haven't followed God's design. I know I've sinned. I know that I'm in that place of brokenness and I've never believed and, and, and turned away from my sin and made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. And I'm still in that brokenness. And our question for you today is, what's stopping you? What is stopping you from repenting and believing on the Lord Jesus? So that you might be saved and begin to recover and pursue God's design for your life. As we close our time today, we're going to go into a time of singing. And we're going to praise God for this good news that we have up on the wall. But if you feel like God is telling you today that you need to begin that process, that you need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, 
At the end of our service, we want to talk to you a little bit about what that means. And if you don't want to talk to me, because I know I'm a bald, scary guy, talk to someone who you came with. Talk to someone else in here that could be able to share the same good news with you. But don't go back out into the world without receiving the good news that comes in Christ. You are a Christian. This is what your neighbors need. This is what your community needs. This is how we love people. And we want to see everything we do point people to this. We can do this. Let us pray.